Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week we are discussing the penultimate issue of Alan Davis's epic run on the title he co-created, featuring the Excalibur crew returning to an iconic X-Men storyline with an equally iconic returning guest who's fresh off an Eisner hat trick. So we better not dawdle. Excalibur number 66, Back to the President, was originally published in June 1993, and the creative team is Alan Davis on writing and pencils, Mark Farmer on inks, Dana Morsehead on colors, Chris Eliopoulos on letters, and Terry Kavanaugh on editing. making welcome back to excalibur chat as i said we we won't be dawdling so i'm going to try to keep to that i am dr anna paparad you can find me lots of places talking about sex and gender and superheroes and comics including at the twitter account sequential scholars where you can find me and andrew talking about all kinds of comics goodness throughout the week every week we're probably talking about paper girls about the time that this comes out tying in with the show um, but that's just my job my calling of course is being kurt bogner's unofficial pr manager i am joined as always by mav please reintroduce us to your reality it's college chat would have been such an easier yeah. like name to come up <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> we worked on this for like we worked on this for like two weeks. Coming up with gosh, like, oh my god, it's college chat, and like, oh yeah, we could have done that. Rolls off the uh, tongue. Yeah, <laughs> like, people would know what it was about. And, uh, oh well, <laughs> that'll be the, the the talk radio version that spins out of this when we haven't had oh. enough Excalibur after two years. Yeah. Um. Hi, my name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Map. Um. I talk about comics and duff. <laughs> on the other pop culture stuff on this show and another show called Vox Popcast, which is another poorly named show that no one knows what it's about based on the based on the title because that's like my thing is just like let's have podcasts that you know it's really clever great for branding if no one knows what you do that's awesome uh, <laughs> i'm also a lecturer of digital narrative interactive design at university of pittsburgh and um i 
do other random stuff like that. I talk about literature and sex and gender and other things for a living here in lots of places. That's what I do. <laughs> I was going to do a whole thing about like coming back from the future, but I, I don't actually know if I understand the issue well yeah. enough to like make yeah. a cool joke about it the way I normally do. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, by the way, I'm Kitty Pride. I was all along. Surprise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and I already did. Oh, go back and watch our video from the other day when, yes. you know, where, where, where I killed myself mm. with magic of After Effects. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's very impressive. Our video for our podcast award. Oh, yeah. We should always be introducing ourselves as an award-winning podcast. I've been dropping the ball on that. But, mm. yes, welcome to the award-winning podcast. Oh, gosh. Oh, golly. Oh, wow. I guess saying I killed myself sounded more bleak than it was. Yeah. I, uh, if, if you a, haven't a seen the video, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a variant is what, is, is what I'm saying. Go, mm -hmm. go watch the video. <laughs> Andrew, please reunite us with your backstory. Hello, I'm Dr. Andrew DeMann. I'm an instructor at St. Jerome's University and an empty husk of a man since concluding my <laughs> beloved Claremont Run project, Aww. whose creative fire is now sustained only by an exciting new project that Anna mentioned called Sequential Scholars that you should all check out because we do good work. You know, I have been worried about you, Andrew, because you got so many Paper Girls threads done in such a short amount of time. And I was like, <laughs> oh, Jesus. But it makes total sense because you were used to doing that every single day, whereas I take like three days to put together a thread. And I'm like, oh, you're missing Claremont Run, aren't you? I, I did once come downstairs from waking up in the morning and I wandered into the basement and was like, oh, shit, oh. I don't have to post anything this morning. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I just went back up and made breakfast. <laughs> like I, I know it's a relief but i'm sure you also really miss it too yeah i did a self-portrait project where i took a self-portrait and wrote a diary every day for literally four years for four oh, wow. years and then when i stopped it was just like oh i don't know i mean like i lived my life on the internet for four straight years 365 huh. days project i was gonna do it for one year and i did it for four and then when i stopped it's like i don't know how life works anymore <laughs> what, yeah. what do you do if you're not telling the world about your day <laughs> as much as i'm enjoying this conversation about human emotions we are dawdling <laughs> and i said that we were not going to do that so okay. let's move forward <laughs> i'm kidding we have I'm a guest kidding. still <laughs> we do have a we do have a guest to introduce so we are joined this week by a writer critic editor and all-around expert she is the editor-in-chief of women write about comics or wawak for short and in that capacity they are coming fresh off winning number three count them three in a freaking row for best comics periodical amazing. amazing the pod couldn't be more utterly stoked to welcome back nola fow welcome nola thank you very much it's uh it's great to be back talking about my favorite comic i'm so happy that we could have you back for a better issue you last joined us for prometheum <laughs> exchange and we had a wonderful conversation there but i think we'll all be more eager to talk about the actual comic today which will be fun as yeah. well don't want to apologize for having you on during prometheum exchange anyone who had to like endure that was you know <laughs> oh no no i no you you misunderstand i volunteered i know i know <laughs> and, and I, I, remember, I wanted and i just I like why to talk about that issue <laughs> and we had a great conversation about yeah, disability yeah, metaphors great. and x-men and all wonderful things i love that episode that's our episode on excalibur 37 for those who want to go back and revisit that one if you haven't listened to it yet or do you want to revisit it it's very worth revisiting but anyway we've already done your comics origin story on that episode so we won't do that today but I will ask you about how the Eisners went. You know, how did it compare to years past? How was being back at San Diego this year? 
so I don't really actually have much of a comparison point. Prior to the, the start of the pandemic, I had only been to San Diego once for Comic-Con, uh, and that was 2019, and I was only there for like one day. And we weren't even nominated that year. So oh. like, honestly, this this entire experience was a new thing where it was the first time that I'd been in like been in San Diego for the entire con- uh, convention. You know, I was invited to the show because we were nominated and we were prior winners. And yeah, it was honestly, it was a lot of fun, if only because it's the first time I've done a convention in probably like a decade where I wasn't working. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, which was kind of wild, you know, because I was still seeing all the people that I'm usually working with. I was just was like, yeah, no, I, I'm just here to hang out. I don't have to do anything. So it was it was great for that. And yeah, it was it was really fun to just have the time to explore what is the biggest con that the U.S. has. Like it's mm-hmm. by an or like by a couple orders of magnitude, it's bigger than the next closest one, uh, which is New York. So it was really it was really fun to just have four days to kind of do that at my own pace. And then I got an award out on top of it. And that was pretty fun. <laughs> were, oh, I don't know. I almost want to ask you the like question about like, you know, how did you like, Did were you feeling good about it? Were you like nervous? Did you think you had a good chance? I was hopeful, but I yeah. didn't actually think that I was going to win yeah. or that we were going to win because, you know, three Eisners is in a row is very rare. Uh, it's not a thing that happens very often and so i was pretty stoked about that but i didn't really think it was going to happen and uh, i you know i had the opportunity to meet a couple of the other nominees before the ceremony and you know i chatted with them and it was uh one of them shared a panel with me on thursday i want to say and that was uh barbara dylan for fan base oh and i was like I, i was kind of just like well you know i don't think that i'm gonna win this year but you know at least like I know some of the other nominees and, you know, like at least I'm, I'm, I'll be happy if it goes to one of them because I like the work that they're doing. But then it went to us again and I was, I was not prepared. I had not written any kind of an acceptance speech. I went up there and I just ad-libbed the entire thing for a minute and then got off stage as quick as I could. <laughs> what do you do with your third Eisner? I mean, like at this point, you like do you just have them like in the bathroom or because you've got three? <laughs> like, uh, why bother? <laughs> so, uh, what we've been doing is um, because they give us two every year, like because it's, it's Wendy's name and my name both on the on the thing. So we, they give us two each year, one for each of us. But the the actual awards themselves don't have our names on them. They just say women write about comics on them. So what we've been doing is like uh, we each kept one, and then we're sending the others to other editors on our team, Aww. so that everyone's got one. That's awesome. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, because yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, I'm so glad you asked, and now I know that. <laughs> like, made my day. Because, I mean, yeah, like, they, they're just as deserving. They're part yeah. of the team. They helped get us there, and... and You're just the editor-in-chief, so... Yeah, yeah, I'm just the figurehead. Oh, you're a little bit more than that. <laughs> I think you're more than like, that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, but it's cool, yeah, it's awesome that they yeah, that they have, they being the Eisners, have given you the, um at, at this point, enough to spread it around, because it is a it is an impressive team. Yeah, I'm I'm so grateful that I get to work with all of them on a regular basis. I'm so grateful that we have been able to keep doing this for year in and year out. And I don't know, I said it a few times at the convention. I just I really love comics and I will continue trying to do this in some form for the rest of my life. 
Yeah, all right. I love that sentiment. On that note, let's do an issue <laughs> summary and, and talk about this. Talk about this freaking Excalibur comic. I'm in a good mood. I'm in a big hearted mood. And this is helping me maintain that mood. But I do want to talk about Kitty as Widget because I'm so excited to talk to Nola about it. Okay. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I said it earlier. I, I'm just teasing. <laughs> At this point, I mean, come on. <laughs> I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. We definitely resist torture by painfully transferring our consciousnesses into the unstable body of a time and dimension hopping robot to keep you safe. I mean, we'd, we'd probably do that. Uh, maybe, maybe almost probably. Uh, but Kate Pride definitely would. Pays to stay on her good side. Without further ado, let's start today's time warp with a plot summary. Excalibur 66 opens in the far out, far off future of 2013, where Catherine Pride is connected to a series of machines. Ahab and Quinn observe her while discussing how Rachel Summers managed to escape to the past. They've tried to scan Kate's mind, but her psychic shields are impenetrable. Instead, they seek to use the time warp residue from Rachel's departure left on Kate to send their own operatives back to recapture Rachel before she stops this future. That is taken straight from the Marvel wiki, so do with that what you will. As the machine powers up, Kate screams in pain, breaks her inhibitor collar, and manages to phase, destroying the machine. As time repairs itself, she's at the heart of the tear, and her consciousness is set adrift in time. Two years later, Widget reappears in her place and begins to repeat the phrase, request external confirmation. Ahab says it's a probe sent by Rachel and orders Widget seized, but Widget disappears into the past, or somewhere, taking a sentinel's arm with it. For the millionth time, Ahab vows revenge on Rachel and goes to visit the Sentinel hierarchy. It orders that Sentinels be adapted to time travel to occupy all realities and eradicate mutants everywhere and every when. Meanwhile, in the present, Excalibur enjoy a brief respite at Braddock Manor. Kurt picks flowers for Cerise. Rachel calls out all the hard-hearted fans who may not have bought into the epic love affair between these characters. Megan asks Brian if he'd still love her if she looked like a bat werewolf, and Farron is Farron, which is to say insufferable. Rachel shuts up Farron by announcing that she and she alone will return to the future and that Excalibur must stay behind. They beg her to stay, but she has already initiated traveling. Elsewhere in the far-flung year of 2015, Widget reappears again and is met by a group of parahumans that era's RCX who include Tangerine, Killpower, Albion, and Dark Angel. Widget remains motionless as Tangerine scans it before it flares to life screaming about sentinels. Tangerine sees into Widget's mind and finds it contains the consciousness of Catherine Pride. On cue, sentinels teleport in and the RCX open fire. As Ahab and his sentinels fight their way to Widget, Widget tries to escape through time but is captured by a specially adapted sentinel cliffhanger for our epic conclusion now nola as i said i'm very excited to hear your first impressions of this issue so hit us with them what if anything are you particularly eager to discuss about this issue so the two things that are the biggest beats for me the things that really have lasted are of course the widget reveal as kate pride and also uh the scene that you mentioned with uh megan and brian yeah Um, that's one of those ones that you've seen like that page gets posted all the time it gets shared around um it's one of the the more iconic classic scenes and it's one of my favorites uh i'm i'm especially excited that we get to talk about it because we had so much discussion last time i was on the show about megan and the way she's portrayed and to compare that against this is just i'm really looking forward to it oh okay yeah i definitely knew we had to spend some time on that moment even though it's a short moment but it's a very important moment as you said so definitely i want to talk about that um let me get some first impressions from andrew and mav before we talk some more about this this plot stuff how are you feeling about this issue andrew um confused maybe like (laughs) 
I, I, th- I think you said it earlier. Like it, it's it's beautiful. There's a lot of cool stuff happening. I'm never sure how I feel about it. I do like the character moments that Nola mentions, and I'm moderately distracted because I, I keep thinking that Alan Davis draws Ahab to look like a Muppet if you look at his his sort of face and I'm having a hard time getting past it okay yeah I'm not going to be able to unsee that that's a good point I mean I do like that when Ahab rebuilds himself he comes back with the new legs with like thigh high boots built in I liked that little beat for him so I mean I I love the specific style I love the specific stylistic choice too of not only does he have the thigh high boots built in but he specifically chooses a pig leg (laughs) (laughs) he's on brand he, he could have just had he, two thigh had, high had boots. Two feet, yeah, he, yeah, he could have feet. He does. He that is a choice that he made to not have feet. Yes, I do admire that. <laughs> <laughs> Turned around on it now, uh, Mav. What are your first impressions? Uh, about the same. I, I it's. I agree with Nola. I I like some of the character beats. I don't know. That's weird penultimate issue and yet it's so chaotic and sort of dispersed and we're not really seeing as much from our team as we are from you know this other weird weird world building stuff for a world that will never matter again right like it's like we're gonna see next issue and then since no one else is 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 as enamored of rcx as alan davis is no one else on the planet is right (laughs) like next time we come back to days of future past world which is gonna happen because that's how the marvel universe works especially in x books they're not gonna mention tangerine again (laughs) like dark angel's not really part of the story for anybody other than alan davis so it's weird to spend that much time on them and i have I'm I'm really curious to see where everybody's mileage is with the widget is is Kitty slash Kate slash I, I I have so many questions there that don't really get answered. I mean, it's like, oh, that's interesting, I guess. I <laughs> I have thoughts, but I'm not sure they're even cohesive enough. And and I do this for a living. So I don't know. I'm curious about this episode and have been curious to f- see where this episode would go for the last 68 episodes of our show yeah. as we've been building to it because i because i mean we we named the show this knowing that this was going to happen eventually mm-hmm. and now we're here and i'm like hmm, okay i don't know that i feel better about it than i did the last couple times i read it so i definitely feel better about it i'm much more into it now than i was the first time i read through the series like you know i've mentioned this before but it's just like to be honest the first time i read it through i was reading it through for nightcrawler so he's not in this arc much so i kind of went through this arc quickly and it didn't make a huge impression on me that first time but i've read it many times since then and i think rereading it now after doing the podcast for like a year and a bit and talking about excalibur for all these hours i'm much more invested in it now than i was and much more intrigued by like i totally agree that it's chaotic and there's so much here but it's just there is so much here And I'm just finding myself really fascinated by the Kitty and Widget reveal just in light of so many of the conversations that we've had about Kitty and the nature of her powers and her queerness and so many things related to that. And I'm really interested to talk about those things today because that wasn't necessarily a context I brought to this the first time I read it just because I just wasn't in that headspace at the time. But again, I'm more in that headspace now. And like, yeah, there's a lot here with that reveal and even just... We were talking, uh, we were we were texting, but we'll, we'll bring Nola into that conversation too about the opening splash page and how it's a stigmata image, but it's like also a Vitruvian man and like the idea of, you know, I mean, Vitruvian man is like also like, you know, it's just, yeah, it's Vitruvian inspired man is by biblical. Yeah. 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 So, it's- so it's both things, but at the same time, like the idea of 
you know, it's this body that fits in a circle and a square, and it's this body that is a microcosm of reality and like the nature of reality. And there's so much bound up in that, you know, related to the biblical imagery, but like beyond that as well. And I mean, we can talk about the appropriateness of that imagery for Kitty or not. I'm not really well versed enough in that to talk about that, but we can if others of you are. But yeah, I don't know. There was just a lot in this issue that I found myself very fascinated by returning to it. So yeah let's get into it. I'll put it to you, Nola. What do you make of the widget is Kate reveal? Like, what does this do for you? Does it interest you? So I, I always liked the reveal. I don't know that it's that it particularly is significant to the story that it's her, but I always liked the reveal because it was seeded so early on with some of Widget's dialogue with, you know, the very Mm -hmm. title of the podcast. And it's, it's, it's one of those very long running things that actually did pay off. Uh, And that part of it is cool. The other thing that is really fascinating to me is that Widget's upgraded body was very male coded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is, has always been a fascinating thing because Kitty Pride has always sort of existed in that nebulous space of queerness and marginalized identity and to to have the reveal be kind of a weird gender situation is also very fascinating to me as for the way the reveal is actually played out it's kind of like like you guys have been saying the, yeah the issue is pretty chaotic i do like the way that it's sold uh, I have the the advantage right now of I've I've got the Excalibur Volume Two Omnibus sitting in my lap here, and so like the cover to sixty six is on the left hand page, and the first page of the issue is oh, on the right. Yeah. And so I'm getting to look at this uh, widget cover next to this Cape Pride being strung up in this device, and what hits me is like the way the circular motif carries through with the mm-hmm. manifestation of widget's powers, with the design of the machine that she's in. And then like the next page, there's more circular motif with Rachel's vanishing, the explosion in the factory. The next page after that is like three different panels. It, it just keeps going. And I really like that. And it keeps going literally until Widget appears back in the same spot that Kitty was in. Uh, it's a whole sequence. It's meticulously planned, at least as far as those few pages are, at least as far as those few pages go. And I really like the sell of it. Because I like being able to pick pick up these three pages between my fingers and flip back and forth between the two and see the way that Widget is in the same position with the arms out, even though the machine is by that point destroyed. I love a good bit of visual storytelling and I love a, I love a motif, honestly. So that part is cool. Like I said, I don't really know that it's necessary to the overall Excalibur story that the, that Widget be Cape Pride secretly the whole time it's a neat detail and it kind of explains why widget cares so much about excalibur and about this team but beyond that i don't know that it's particularly important yeah i mean so much of my thoughts about it is that i want to bring this kind of importance to it like i was i was getting very in over my head like wanting to claim like a queer feminist like meaning to so much of this imagery and you know, her transformation and the relationship with Rachel. I mean, the fact that she fights this machine to save Rachel and we're going to get more of that in the next issue. And I, yeah, and I, I, I'm bringing a lot to it to make that work. But I mean, it's there too, right? I mean, in terms of the transformation into Widget, it's very like male-coded, the Widget robot, but it's also a genderless robot. I mean, the bottom half of this robot is a galaxy. 
you know yeah. it is any gender and every gender that is possible yeah. because it's eternity right i mean it's you know yeah. the callback is to you know steve ditko's uh, envisioning of eternity back in back in those comics yeah yeah and when i when i say that like it's very male coded what i mean is specifically it is it is designed in a way where to make the reader look at it and assume male mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think that that's a very intentional choice mostly probably just as a red herring so that to help preserve the this reveal specifically but i think i think it, like the team pretty much referred to widget with male pronouns throughout yes. didn't they yes yes i've, I've um, been paying very close attention this entire read through yeah it my issue with it is i think nola put it perfectly because you said you're not sure it's important i'm not sure it's important either i think davis thinks it's important and I think Davis is trying to do this. Look, it was Kitty all along thing. And I don't think it was Kitty all along. I, the There's not right. a puzzle here that you can figure out. Da- I don't think... Davis also thinks the clandestine are important. So Right, right. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. And, 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 and again, it's, it's okay to it's okay to have your favorites, right? It's okay to like be, have the thing that you're, you enjoy. But this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this show was because I've thought about this in the past before. I've thought about the, the reveal. And the reveal in this book, if this is your first issue of Excalibur, you read this and you go, wow, he's been planning this thing for six years they have gone through and they have meticulously planted the seeds to make this reveal that kitty pride had been widget all along and there's a and then so like now if you've had 66 issues to like sort of pick through and like sort of look for the hints they're not there this is not something that you can construct it it is out of nowhere it is arguably there for the last three or four issues because davis knew that he was going to do that and i think the redesign of widget there's hints from the point when when widget becomes a half galaxy or you know a predominantly galaxy robot but like the original widget which is just you know a floating head does not have that it does you know widget doesn't have the weird coding any more than like ahab for instance who's also a reborn character ahab was supposed to be cable like at one point they were very clearly going that way and mm-hmm. then they're like no no it's this other person what is his name oh i just called him rando it doesn't matter who he is yeah i think it's, it's like i guy. think it's like and it's like it's like rory or something and it's like it, it doesn't it's, it's matter rory campbell yeah and it's and and little things like that they make it hard for me to read because i don't i don't need for everything in comics to be connected i don't need that to happen it's neat when it happens and it feels confusing when you try to force me to do it and it's not there i'd rather just enjoy the lovely story of rachel finally being able to reconcile her past because that should be the important thing at least in my reading like i want i want to be like oh my god she's getting a chance to go back and do it over she's getting a chance to go back to her origin of when she was sent from days of future past and like, you know, a chance at vengeance, a chance at redemption, a chance at, you know, all this stuff. And no, I've got to worry about this robot that like, <laughs> I that like I, you know, that I actually find more interesting when, when he's a weird cipher than I do when he's kitty. So that's why, so it's weird for me and it could have been redeemed, but again, Davis is leaving. So nothing's really going to be done with this. I am definitely like more term- sold on it than you, Mav. But anyway, yeah, go yeah. ahead, Andrew. We'll come back to it. Oh, no, go ahead, Andrew. No, no, really. Please go ahead. I was going to invite you to go ahead. Anyway, we're too polite. <laughs> the Canadians. Very Canadians. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, one of the things that I like about it that's kind of under the radar, and this might be a charitable read, is is just the ways to which um, Kitty's character can be sort of queer gender-wise as a result of her participation in technology, at least yes. by the standards of the 1980s culture. So to have her merge with a technological entity and an entity that that is merging, right? Because this widget mm-hmm. is very humanoid in element. I think that's actually kind of cool. I, I think it's a nice precursor to Doug Locke, but also a reference to Claremont's earlier merger of Doug and Warlock and, and what that represented in terms of what tech philosophers call the fourth discontinuity, this this broader perception of um, human technology integration being sort of ahead of its time. Uh, and as I said, the way that Kitty uses that is empowerment and always has. So I like it for her as a character beat in that sense. I like it for that and and on the on the Doug point too it's interesting to me that she gets this because they were best friends yeah so like to have this kind of mirrored experience uh i guess is is fascinating to me yeah there's an intimacy to it well is there because that's something that's where my weirdness is right kitty and doug are best friends doug has this experience where he gets to be a or i mean she's not aware of it yet because she's aware that doug and warlock were merged but she doesn't she's not yet met doug lock right so there's a potential for interestingness there except that i don't think it ever happens it's sort of a hey as scholars we're sort of you know wondering what could have been well it it never happens because it hasn't happened yet right like that's the thing like the version of kitty that that happens to is the future one it's right the old right one. and sh- it, yeah so there, there's no that's that's my point like i like i i think there's a lot of potential here but uh-huh. i don't know what to do with it because it's it's all unrealized potential at least for me well, i i guess i guess my thought is that i don't know that it needs to be realized i don't know that 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 scene needs to happen within the story i think it's enough to have that mirror set up from the reader's perspective i think that it's it's enough to see it and go that's a really interesting construction that and that that's somewhat if not massively enhances my reading okay uh so yeah i mean it's sort of related to my feelings because like i do know that i'm bringing a lot to it but on the other hand the things that i'm bringing to it are like defensible with other kind of textual examples i mean if we think about the way that excalibur started with you know rachel reaching out to kitty in a dream and that bond between those two characters being the foundation of this story in some ways right and so you know i i don't think it works in the sense that that hasn't been a through line since Claremont left. Like their relationship hasn't been what it was in the Davis era versus the Claremont era. And we've had a lot of stuff that just hasn't carried through as effectively as it might've done, but still I can read it as a circling back to that and like definitely see how it can make sense. And if you're going to do that interpretive work and make it make sense, it can be very powerful. But also I just, I really loved what Andrew was saying about, the connection to technology because it's just you know i said i want to read this as this queer feminist thing and it's just like you know kitty through her love for rachel whether you read that as romantic love or sexual love or motherly love it can be any of those things or all of those things or whatever however you want to read it i think all of those possibilities are right there through her love for rachel she you know uses her connotatively queer mutant power of you know breaking through boundaries merging things you know her like literal power to 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 merge boundaries to become this other being who defies space and time who's kind of like donna haraway's cyborg you know come to life and that creature is gonna bring down the patriarchy with rachel (laughs) and the phoenix force at her side and like come on 
that is like what happens in this story and that's i it? really want to be well i mean that's a reading of the story no, that well, was that's, present yeah, for that's me my point, as i though, was reading it yeah yeah well my, my my flaw here is that like i i mean i think that setup's there i agree with you but then you said that's what happens i'm like well but does it right like we get one more issue and i don't know that it, i don't know that the follow there is there enough for me to where i feel like that's why i said it's a lot of missed potential for me there's a lot yeah. of feminine moments mm-hmm. of connection sort of seeded throughout okay. it though because you know you have kitty and rachel sort of reflecting on their perspective of the, the team at the beginning and you have that wonderful moment with tangerine you know realizing that kate pride is inside of widget and seeing yeah. kate's kate reflected in tangerine's glasses and i love that little moment kind of a connection mm-hmm. as well and so there's just i don't know i just i really got into this reading of it as i was reading it and yeah. like, maybe i'm just in like a feminist utopian mood or something but i was just <laughs> like this is so close to being that and i again i don't think it's quite that i don't know that davis was thinking about all of these things when he did that but the fact that those meetings are possible really excited me you did mention the vitruvian image right and like that is an image of the body made machine created Mm -hmm. by a brilliant artist who was also a brilliant engineer so i i think it i think it plays into that nicely i mean who was also queer (laughs) yeah it's i think he wants you to feel the way that you feel so success and maybe i'm you know like <laughs> this is the one where where you know you know how normally i'm the the happy-go-lucky bright you know you know <laughs> enthusiastic optimistic person on this show that's totally my role right <laughs> um oh yeah 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 um i don't know i and maybe it it, it doesn't have to work for me right like if you're mm. getting that i don't think you're wrong because with the moment you just referenced where kitty or actually I should say kate because it's the older version where kate is reflected in tangerine's glasses that's clearly intended by davis as an artist to be a big moment it's you're you're intended to go oh my god and like that's like that's what's supposed to happen there and it doesn't happen for me you know not every story is going to land with every person and maybe it just doesn't land for me the fact that it's the fact that you're getting that reading at all i don't think is you putting too much into it this isn't you writing a better story this time right that's the story i just didn't (laughs) buy like that's the story he's doing i just didn't buy it because i need it more but i'm not every reader so you know fine i guess I don't know, you know, we've talked so many times on the pod yeah. before, but like that experience of like reading comics as a woman and kind of looking for scraps and you're just yeah. Sort of like, yeah, yeah. when I you're when like, I get oh. something of substance like I have here, yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And, and it's there. That's certainly part of the experience. And another thing I noticed too is that uh, you know, Rachel had been gone from the book for a little bit and she came back in the issue before this one. And literally from the moment she's back, she and Kitty are sharing panels. Mm-hmm, almost mm-hmm. constantly like they're just next they're just by yeah. each other's side and a lot of those panels are very like close moments where they're face to face you know in the in the issue just prior uh yeah when she first shows up like there's that panel where their faces are so close they mm-hmm. could be about to kiss mm-hmm. in this issue when rachel is telling her about how she's planning on going back to the future like there's this whole moment where she stops and she puts her hands on kitty's shoulders and it's a very like like you were saying uh anna it's very about like the contact between them it's yeah, not just that yeah. they're on on the panel occupying space together they are physically touching and close together as often as possible mm-hmm. and knowing what we know about the two characters and their intended future under claremont for all that he didn't get to do that uh, i think it's significant that they are continuously portrayed this way even when he's not directly on the book 
Yeah, it's it's sort of locked in, right? Yeah, and Davis would have been respect. I mean, unlike some other writers, <laughs> authors who I, I wasn't even talking about the obvious one. Uh, I mean, oh, okay. I, I mean, just I thought like, you're being polite. No, well, okay, yes, also Lobdell, but I mean, I mean, there's been thirty since there's been thirty years since then, and like, there's a lot of Rachel and Kitty barely acknowledging each other in that thirty years. But my point was going to be that unlike other people, Davis is close enough to that situation that he's going to try to respect that he's got his own he's got his own thing like we he hates the love triangle right that we've talked about that but he is trying to respect sort of that sensibility of however you want to read their relationship they clearly have a nola you put it this way uh, it's a loving relationship maybe you buy it as romantic maybe you don't but it is they clearly love each other on some level and i think that matters here because i think what you're getting is you're getting and this is the part that i do like like i didn't the, the widget stuff might not have worked for me the relationship stuff here does work for me this and also we'll talk in a little bit about the about the brian megan stuff the relationship between kitty and Rachel in this book is, you know, for me, what matters here is not just that Rachel's like putting her hand, you know, I've got to go do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's that Kitty is basically like going to the future without, without us, the hell you are, you know, that mm -hmm. I think is important too, because yeah. it's Kitty saying, no, we just got you back, your family, you know, you're not doing this alone. This is a, this is a us thing. It's not a you thing, which I, which I think really says a lot about their characters it's also a very interesting bit of duality in that the a and b stories here are kate going back to get to rachel and mm -hmm. rachel going forward with kate with yeah. with kitty trying to follow yep uh you know you combine that with all of the concentric circles in the visual industry like imagery uh you know the concept of time as a loop like it is it is very intentional throughout the entire issue the, the way that he's trying to portray that and it does result in some pretty confusing stuff here and there but those particular details those are the kinds of things that just get me every time you know i've talked about how much i love teeny howard's excalibur um and i've i've been loving her knights of x too because she's very good at that that kind of intentionality and that kind of formalism in comics and to see alan davis just going all out with like one more issue to go however well or not well the story works to see him just going all out with his design and his thematic work here it's just it's fantastic and like i just find that with how dynamic the imagery is and how loaded the imagery is and how much we're given in terms of that imagery i mean that's part of where my fascination with this issue is coming from though i mean you know he has two issues he only has a certain number of pages but he is like literally overloading the pages with meaning you know in terms of overlapping textures and images and you know things could mean something they could mean other things but it's just so evocative and it's just such a dense rich, rich issue like i'm i'm thinking about the issue and i'm like feeling those multiple textures of the issue as though like it's it's becoming twice as long as it is just because there are so many <laughs> like layers to the actual artwork and you know those visual motifs are obviously part of it but like yeah I don't know I just I, like I'm really buying into it in the sense that like I even think about that line that Rachel has to Kitty of like you know don't be such a cynic don't you believe in love and like <laughs> when we think about yeah 
I don't think the like kitty becoming widget thing makes sense. I mean, I've read the issues so many times and I don't understand what happened. I don't understand the explanation <laughs> on the Marvel wiki. It didn't help. But at the same time, I want to buy into that and just be like, what happened is the power of love. Like what happened yeah. is that a superhero did something impossible because they loved somebody else so much. And yeah, I don't know. I, I want to be there for that. I I'm clearly am there for that. I am sold on it. I like that's a superhero <laughs> thing I can be sold on. I'm a romantic. I'm here for it. <laughs> this I'm here for. I'm here for this much more than I was into curtain series in the last issue. So I'm making up for it. I don't know what order our our episodes have aired in as far as like the curtain series thing, but Oh I, yeah, the I annual about... the annual was last week. Yeah. Okay, so so they have heard us talk about this. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate that Davis is talking from the past to me in the future and telling me to shut the hell up but no it's not there no <laughs> like, like no you like you did not write a relationship and it doesn't work you can't just have rachel show up and say no don't you believe in love this, this relationship i'm like no i don't believe in it because you forgot to write it there's no there's no relationship these people don't know each other stop don't make it so like yeah so like that that's the part of this that i that i don't care for i think it goes back to what anna was talking about earlier uh about being a woman and reading these comics and getting used to scraps mm -hmm. uh, because the relationship you're right is not really there it's not it's not written in explicitly and openly because you know we know that it wasn't really allowed to be in the way that it was intended and so like we are Wait, used which one to... are you talking about are you talking about cerise or are you talking about kitty and rachel Oh, I'm talking about Kitty and Rachel. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I agree with you. Then. <laughs> I, thought you were about, I thought you were saying that the Cerise relationship wasn't allowed to be there. I was like, thank goodness. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> okay. The Sorry. Cerise relationship wasn't allowed to be there in the sense that Cerise is kind of a two-dimensional character. And <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I keep. I I know we're gonna get to talk about it next week with another guest who's really going to want to talk about it who requested this issue a year ago <laughs> but, um, but there's the thing from next issue where you know Rachel and Kate have a moment and one of the lines is I really wish I could touch you and I just wanted to mention it because Nola mentioned the thing about them touching in this issue and how that seems very important so it does seem very deliberate if we're looking forward to the next issue as well. Uh, one thing that I noticed speaking of issues that are not this one is I was going back and doing my homework a little bit and the issue where colossus and kitty kind of call it quits and colossus has that fight with juggernaut in the bar and wolverine stands by and just wolverine and kurt both just stand by and oh the and first time get, yeah, the x-men get wrecked yeah that issue and the issue where rachel of first comes to the present are back to back it was like an intentional choice to set colossus aside and then bring rachel in and then it was hmm. rachel and kitty from that point forward so yeah the way that they're portrayed is as occupying not just the same space but almost each other's space in this issue and then like what you're saying about kitty wishing that she could touch rachel in the next issue it's just it is beautiful and sad and i love comics <laughs> but it's almost like no i'm like getting emotional about it because it it's almost like i don't know it's like a metaphor for reading comics in some way too you know the way things both are and aren't connected and you know the ways that we read these long-running serialized narratives i mean the repetition of motifs you know things keep coming back relationships go away and come back characters age and de-age you know and then to have that relationship between kitty and rachel you know are you saying threaded through so many issues 
for those of us who are you know present for reading it that way i don't know i still think that the way that this issue kind of makes it makes it an issue of fate in some ways but also makes it an issue of i don't know commenting on the impossibility of it in a way and again I do think that's me bringing too much, but I mean, you know, as Noel was saying, this wasn't a relationship you could have had on the page, but sort of the emphasis on the impossible here, the fact that this love is so powerful, it can bend in time and space in order to come up with a super sexual metaphor to make it true. I don't know, there's something very magical about that. It just makes me, again, it makes me think of all the reasons that I love comics, you know, and the ways that I love super sex in comics and the ways that it can use fantastic metaphors to both do things that the code wouldn't let you do but also to create additional possibilities because this isn't a single type of relationship this is many types of relationships this is infinity types of relationships you know all threaded through you know infinity versions of time and i don't know there's something so fascinating and appealing and frankly romantic about that and I just keep coming back to that and thinking about how fascinating I'm finding this like this time around versus that first time around where I was just like this is confusing I don't get it I'm moving past it but again (laughs) we've been podcasting about Excalibur for a year and talking about these characters and these plot lines and I'm just yeah I'm just feeling that sense of payoff like more than than I did in the past I guess and maybe it just comes down to that I think I wish some of that had been a bit more coherent I would like to work through that idea of it being a metaphor for reading comics but I don't quite have a handle on that yet but um, well, maybe another when time you, when you do I know a website you can think about <laughs> <laughs> I'll think about it you know I'll think about it always hustling no. <laughs> <laughs> well can I ask everybody one more question about widget which is sort of like I mean, how does Widget relate to this book thematically? You know, if this is going to be the climax of the Davis era of Excalibur, the title that he co-created, we've talked a lot in the past about some of the reasons why Excalibur is a dimension hopping book. But I mean, let's return to that just briefly here, because again, why are we, you know, (laughs) beyond this like feminist queer utopia reading that, you know, we're kind of doing, why is Widget at the center of this book? Like, why is this so emblematic of Excalibur? Why are we starting with widget and i don't want to say ending with widget excalibur is not ending but one era of excalibur is ending mm-hmm. like and why is gonna is... be less prevalent which is yeah. gonna be increasingly less I think, prevalent so. I, I think it's fair to say that it's ending in the sense that like the original five era of x factor ended when yeah. peter mm-hmm. david took over the title because mm-hmm. it is functionally going to be a very different book going forward i agree i don't know that like i widget's presence in the book remains just mystifying i like that he's there don't get me wrong or that she's there it's there i don't know i like that widget exists don't get me wrong about that because and i mean some of that's down to nostalgia like i said i i i have had these issues since i was a kid you show me a kid that that gets a superhero team like this and doesn't appreciate a fun little kind of side character who's just <laughs> interesting and weird i think it's interesting that uh, well, actually, one thing I want to go into is I had somehow misremembered, and I thought that, and this is probably the fault of the X-Men 3 movie, but I thought that the time displacement was actually an older Kate's power and not Rachel's. Oh, yeah. And through that lens, it would have actually made sense, not that it would have made sense, but it would have made sense in the in the context of Widget being able to jump the team through dimensions, because that displacement would have actually had a kind of logical connection there, at least. And 
like honestly, I always kind of liked the idea that I, I do kind of wish that it had been Kitty's power in the comics because uh, there's a, a transitory property to that power that yeah. fits with her phasing, with her being able to move through things. It seems like a logical extension that why wouldn't she then be able to move through time or dimensions? So it's strange that it becomes Kitty who, or, or that it's Kate who goes back in time. And like having to construct the actual timeline of it in your head is probably what makes this confusing too. Like this is one of those things that requires like a Hickman style chart almost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hate Kate... charts, but I admit that. <laughs> Oh my god, because, you hate charts? Yes, hate you charts. must You must know that about oh. me. I hate charts. Oh, I love charts. <laughs> I know I'm in the minority on this particular <laughs> pod, so it's fine. I think, I think that, like, I like a good chart. I do think that they're overused. So I will, I, I will com- comfortably sit in the middle. I'll, I'll, I'll both sides the chart issue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that was like so yeah, the, the, the phrase both sides is just too dark for me now <laughs> <laughs> well we in, are in a dark future here so yes, it that's fits. True. Fair enough. um but going back to that the chart really feels like a relevant concept here because we have and i'm going to see if i can lay this out we have kate being caught after rachel gets sent back in time and as kate's caught Something happens with the machine here in this thing. And then she gets shunted back, but she gets shunted back into Widget's body or Widget's floating head. The floating head was created in Excalibur number two. One, two. I had, I didn't go back and check. But Tweedle, yeah, Tweedle Dope just make... That wasn't a thing. It's not like she became Widget and got sent back in time. She got sent no, back in time to just a bunch of junk that Tweedle Dope happened to be playing with, I guess. Yes. Yeah, so like she <laughs> she she gets sent back and ends up in this like floating widget head. Uh and then uh it's it's almost like she's uh just not able to properly communicate or maybe she doesn't quite remember why she's there at first, which you know, I kind of buy when you're all of a sudden in a different time and not in your own body. And so then like the cross time caper happens and they're bouncing through dimensions and all of these things happen and it really creates this big loop where widget lived like a lot of time and did a lot of things before coming back to being kate again and honestly like one of the weirdest points of comparison like one of the things that that is interesting to me is that the closest analogy the closest comparison i can find is when the original five were brought forward in modern x-men like bendis yeah, X-Men. Bendis is right. oh okay and that whole thing where like they were brought forward and they lived a bunch of stuff and the whole question was you know are these the original x-men or are they uh, x-men from an alternate timeline and we find out that they were actually the original X-Men, but they had to live those experiences and go back before those memories became a part of the current X-Men. And like, I see a very similar style of loop here. And I don't think that that's intentional. Like, I don't think that I certainly don't think that Bendis is out here going, I'm going to do a riff on Alan Davis's Excalibur. <laughs> uh, but I think that the, the similarity is interesting to me as all. Well. Yeah, I, weirdly, like Anna mentioned, I've been writing on Paper Girls. I actually have a thread comparing Paper Girls time travel to Bendis's. But anyway, more importantly, I, I kind of want to um, consult Mav on this one because I think we have a weird time travel physics bros thing going on our podcast. We had established in previous X-Men continuity, right, that 811 is not actually the future of 616. It is very much. You, it is, you it can is, go back, but not forward, right? Uh, Well, okay. At this point, prior to this issue, 
you couldn't go forward because it was not the same universe. Since that time, they have on multiple occasions gone forward to it, but it is explicitly not the same universe. More, right. Most one of the most important things is that Rachel is the, and this has come up in Excalibur at this point. Rachel is the daughter of Cyclops and a Jean Grey imbued with the Phoenix Force. Jean Grey, at this point in time in the Marvel Universe, had never been imbued with the Phoenix Force. She'd been replaced with the Phoenix Force. And that is intentionally, very intentionally, a break in Marvel history along a... It is a splitting of linear timelines. Now, if you get really, really crazy... You could argue they get – I've talked about the multiple histories theory as opposed to the many worlds interpretation on this mm-hmm. show before. You could merge them back together. Feynman says that's possible with quantum physics, but I don't think Davis is trying to do that. I think he's, he's ignoring – Yeah, I think he's simplifying and ignoring the fact that um, Rachel is not from the 616 future. That said, so doesn't I actually can, matter because I think I can no prize that. Oh, I, I, oh, I, let me try first and then see if I did the same okay. one. Because my my version of the no prize is it doesn't actually matter because of two things. First off, for reasons that I've never liked, Davis Claremont and actually modern writers uh, seem to think that Rachel is unique in the multiverse. I hate that, so it right. wouldn't matter. But also, the entire point of the multiple histories theory is that you don't actually know that we're ever coming from different prior histories when you encounter somebody along the time stream because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Rachel comes from a different past than Kitty is currently engaged in. The entire point of that theory is that, you know, timey-wimeyness will just work itself out. I mean, it gets more complicated than that, but like, but I mean, I don't want to speak for the next hour, but like it, it would, it would just be, it would just be fine. So no, I'm curious where yours is with though. My no price is uh, somewhat simpler, actually. So Rachel came from the future of Earth 811. So did Kate Pride. Kate Pride came from that future and landed in a body in which she was able to move between dimensions, as we saw demonstrated throughout the cross-time caper. Right. I think that the reason that they're able to get back to the future in this, I can't believe I talk, tricked myself into saying the phrase, back to the future. <laughs> um, I was going to bring it up I, later, so it's fine. <laughs> I think that the reason that they're able to pull that off is because they are dealing specifically with Widget, who... Okay is a connection between universes. And because this is Widget's specific connection time-wise, I think that the upgraded body combined with Kate's consciousness and the fact that Rachel's there and, and all of this stuff just literally is just gives them the, the right nexus of abilities that they can pull it off. You know, that's uh, that's something that becomes like like what it's it's kind of what hickman established in the modern day as the mutant machine um i think it's one of those type of situations uh hmm. you've got a character who literally has spent the entire book going to places or, or and dragging the team along with it and then you have this story that is specifically about getting back to a place that nobody's supposed to actually be able to get back to but because yeah. widget is stuck in this time loop they get dragged along with along with widget towards the end of this issue just like they got dragged along on the cross time caper. So would your argument be that if Rachel had like, so Rachel was going to try to go by herself and not take the rest of the team along. And then Widget just happens to show up and make it happen. Right. So would Rachel under your theory have not actually been able to get there only because Widget exists that she was. I think it's entirely possible that she could have failed because 
because of all of the rules that have been established beforehand, mm-hmm. I think that probably she would have succeeded anyway because of the the Deus Ex Machina that is the Phoenix power that she possesses. Infinite power, even do infinite things. Sure, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, because even though the Phoenix had gone off into outer space, there's that panel where she's holding Kitty's shoulders and she's specifically talking about how she's got the Phoenix Force in her body so that she can make this trip. So she's got she's got that that cosmic space bird power. I totally buy that. My can can I ask a storytelling based question? Like related to so what was kind of the point, if any, of the cross time caper? Like was Widget learning <laughs> or growing to facilitate this other stuff, or was it more that because I, I think either thing is fine, like that Widget just had a fractured consciousness and was dragging them along and there wasn't really a point to the cross time caper, which I actually don't mind because the point was them learning about themselves and it wasn't like it had a point beyond that and i'm actually okay with that because i'm very work, okay with the, the well no but i'm i'm very okay with that i'm very okay with kind of the nonsense of excalibur and you know i can i can write it off as almost like a postmodern thing you know like there wasn't really a mission of the cross time caper other than just being people and doing stuff and i actually kind of like that but like i mean yeah so my question is like was that important to the development of widget like the development of widget into this slightly more clear-headed robot that's able to facilitate this stuff later on or was that all just kind of incidental and it doesn't really matter i think that it was retroactively i definitely agree that in the moment during the cross time caper there i don't think that there was really a point i think it was it was very much widget drags them into a different dimension and it's a oh how will they get out of this now oh they ended up in another dimension oh how will they get out of this now and it's very like I would describe, especially that that particular era of Excalibur as a, a hapless team. Yeah. Uh, and half of the fun of the book, even even though Cross Time Caper went on a little bit too long and was a little bit too unwieldy, half of the fun of the book was they were just always in over their heads. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't it wasn't the intense seriousness that that X Men has always carried because for all that it could be serious, they were just bouncing around in these very very silly places and just trying their best to get home yeah and uh i think that they did like i think it was a very self-experiential journey for all of them uh and i do think that that includes widget but i don't necessarily think that was the point i think it was just one of those things where once that story had been told it then became very fertile fodder for a story like this yeah, that that makes sense to me. That's essentially my reading of it too. I I don't. There's just not a definite thing that I can be like, oh, the cross time caper had to happen to facilitate this story. It just feels like the two things happened because of the nature of Widget, rather than yeah. that it was constitutive of this future story. But I think that that's fine. Like I don't think that that's yeah. really a problem. Yeah, I don't think that it had to happen. I think it's it's handy that it did. Yeah, and I mean, time doesn't have to be linear, as this comic teaches us. Um, uh, I did want to talk about like visual representations of space and time, but I actually might put a pin in it and talk about the Megan thing, just because, Noah, you said that you really wanted to talk about it, so I don't want to shortchange that. So, so let's do that first. So we have the moment where Megan reverts to her bat werewolf, quote-unquote, monstrous form, and asks Brian if he would love her if she looked like that. Give us your read on it, Nola. Like, what do you find interesting about this scene? Uh, so I find a couple things interesting. I like the representation of Megan's insecurity here. Um, that's always been a core component of her character, at least like it always had been at, at the time of this issue being published. I think it's important that she gets this moment 
I think it's a very Brian thing that he does not give a solid, credible answer to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer is no. Oh, 100%. <laughs> the answer is no. That's what, We talked about this on a different... Didn't yeah, we do yeah, a we did. thing? This, okay. The, the answer is no. He would not love her. That's why she looks like that. Yeah. And like that's that's the way her powers work, you know? And... I've always liked her as a device for performative femininity for that. Like, I think we talked about that when we were talking about it during uh, 37 and the way that Lobdell treated her. I think it's interesting that she makes the conscious choice to confront that here instead of just going along with it. Even though this is only a page long scene, her making the deliberate choice to show Brian her actual form is important. It is a really strong moment for her and like, unfortunately, I don't really think that it gets followed up on well enough after this point because Davis leaves the book. But this is a great, it's a great culmination for where Megan has ended up. Like, it, or that was a, a nonsense sentence. Uh, <laughs> it is, it's, it's a great depiction of her journey, I think, is what I was trying to say. She starts the book very like very emotionally insecure and needy and you know there's that whole scene where brian is drunk because he thinks his sister's dead and he's like being abusive towards her and then kurt throws him in the water and you know while that's going on megan is throwing herself on the bed and weeping because she feels like she's failed in some capacity she's entirely concerned with his feelings and the way that she doesn't measure up here after all of the stuff with Kurt where, you know, they're kind of flirting and Megan turns blue here and there. And then Brian breaks Kurt's leg and all of this, Megan is asking Brian to measure up in this scene. So it's a nice bookend for that first issue. And Brian doesn't measure up, which honestly is kind of Brian's whole thing. I do wish that this had gotten more direct follow-up. Um, I think that future teams that worked with Brian and Megan both kind of left this behind favor of just pursuing a much more standard uh unimaginative love story between them i don't know this i like this scene for gender reasons i like it for story reasons uh i like it because megan's one of my favorite characters and having her actually make a stand like this in a compassionate way uh that is not just what too many male writers do with female characters which is make them girl boss their way into being confident uh I think that she gets to be empathetic and vulnerable and soft here, but still very much draw a line about who she is. And that is powerful to me. And it's more powerful to me because it's kind of the last scene we get of classic Megan in that capacity. I really like her body language throughout the scene too. You know, she's closed off when she is as you know traditional blonde, beautiful Megan, you know, she's got sort of her arms crossed and she looks at him. I love the panel where she looks at him over her shoulder with, you know, one of her eyes starting to change yeah. and the sparkles around her and the one red eye. That's mm-hmm. one of my favorite yeah. Megan panels. I mean, you see the mystery and like, for lack of a better word, danger only because there's like, you know, signaling something demonic with the red, which, you know, isn't demonic, but it's sort of it's sort of teasing that a little bit like she's got these multiple elements of her visible in that image and i really like that you know seeing all of that present at the same time and like you know the way she's turned away from brian but looking back at him that gives her a certain measure of power in the in the framing and then when she confronts him about it though she's open you know her arms are uncrossed she's open she directs like directly confronts him and it seems very deliberately posed and framed and i think that's part of what makes it satisfying and effective and i mean Again, it's not satisfying to me for all the reasons that Noel already said, because it's not followed up on. And my thing with it, and I feel like we've probably said this before on the podcast, but my thing with it is like, I don't even mind them having 
this messed up relationship. Relationships can be messed up. That can be interesting. It's just the problem is it turning it into like a very idyllic, romantic, uncomplicated, unproblematic relationship in some later comics that really loses me. Mm-hmm. Because Brian should never be the perfect husband, perfect man. I don't buy it. That shouldn't be the nature of the relationship. It should always be a little mm-hmm. bit fucked up. And yeah. I think that that yeah. works, but it's just when it doesn't have that, that I'm not really like, I'm not really sold on it romantically at any point, but I mean, I'm sold on it at least story-wise when that messed upness is a little bit there. Yeah, he, uh, Brian is very like Peter Parker in that way. They are both characters and it's it's interesting because they were roommates together, but they're both characters who just cannot get a handle on their personal lives. They cannot keep their stuff together. And he's more interesting when he's when he's like that. So to see this relationship just kind of become a very standard romance after this book, after Davis leaves the book, is very disappointing. I remember seeing Megan in the more recent Excalibur for the first time in years. And she was just, you know, quietly being a housewife with the kid while Brian was back to his angsting and stuff. And I was so disappointed by that. So disappointed. Yeah, same. (laughs) I mean, yeah, even uh, we'll probably end up doing an episode about it at some point. But that X-Men Gold annual where they go back uh, to see (laughs) Brian and Megan and the baby. And I, I like that issue in some ways. But yeah, I definitely think about moments like that in terms of like, it doesn't fit what I think of as interesting about their relationship but I mean that's a topic for another time but um but I do like the this is just like something that we talked about on a previous episode because Megan brings up a, a degree of her own shallowness which I think helps the scene too because that suggests at least like an equanimity in the different ways that they're confused and messed up which again kind of works for me in terms of their relationship you know she says like I'm attracted to how beautiful you look when you have that aura and is that similar to the way that you're attracted to me when I'm in a certain form and that does help me a little bit with the relationship and I like that that's a callback to that being brought up previously which Mav I believe brought up as an interesting moment on a previous episode yeah I wish there was more of that again it's it's hard because obviously I like Alan Davis um obviously I like Claremont um obviously no surprise I don't like Labdell who's coming up right but I also am very 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 much a defender of it's a long speech but I don't think comics canon really exist. I think that you need to give the creative team, the current creative team, their own, uh, If I'm particularly if I'm the writer of record, if I'm going to be on a book for a while, I always want to give the new creator enough time to establish their own idea of what this is going to be. I don't want Hickman in 2021 beholden to, to decisions that Chris Claremont made in 1976. Like that becomes a hard thing to do. So, uh, so I always want to be able to give leeway there. I don't have to like everything as much. And what I liked about this issue, and it's oh, like, like Anna said, it's a one page conversation here, but I love this portrayal of Megan realizing that she's not perfect either. And I don't think she, I, I don't think she's ever really thought of herself as such. And in fact, she, you know, she, she had that conversation with Rachel a while back. I'm not stupid. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a human being. Right. And I like that she realizes, you know what, one of my faults here is that I kind of like Brian because he's hot, you know, and, and, and maybe, maybe her idea of hot isn't like the bulging me- muscles, but it is this magical aura that he lost. And she's like, oh, you're kind of ugly now. So I don't know. Yeah, it's, his, it's not his bulging muscles. It's his bulging magic. Right. And, yeah. and that's, <laughs> and that's, and that's. <laughs> fair right like that that's this thing that I, I've, I've seen people do in in real life right where people are like oh i'm not shallow i love i love him or her for for 
you know, their mind. And I'm like, well, that is shallow in some way. Like why, like it, it, you're telling me that like, if I don't work out, it doesn't matter. But if I suddenly become stupid, you know, like that, it's still a part of me, right? Like you're attracted to different things and she's realizing that and she's doubting herself for it. And she's saying, does this make me shallow that I didn't love you as much because you weren't glowing the right way. And that's an interesting thing that's going to be dropped in two issues because the the next author author is going to take a different a different spin on their relationship and i actually think that what the swing that labdell is going to take with brian and megan i'm and i'm tying myself into this now i think it's an interesting swing i don't like his writing i don't like where it goes but i appreciate what he was trying to do or what he will be trying to do so so i'm just i i just wish there was more of this i wish this wasn't getting sprung on me in the last two issues of this of davis's run because it's not going to come up next issue and so this is my chance to talk about it he's not really going to get back to it we're not going to have any resolution to the fact that megan has to realize that she's not perfect either and i i I want to see that story because it's interesting and also because you know as nola just pointed out megan's never as interesting ever again in the 30 years since (laughs) as she is as as she is at this moment here so it's frustrating well what are your thoughts on it andrew you've you've sometimes been megan's pr manager on the pod (laughs) so i gotta i gotta give you a chance to comment on this scene i I should start by hyping that sequential scholars did a post on megan's performative femininity yesterday in podcasting time no i I think i completely agree with everything that nola's saying and that mav is saying um for me one point of contention is there's a panel of kitty pride saying even a cynic like me can see they're crazy about each other and i'm just like not kitty (laughs) don't let kitty be the one to say that she's she's got the emotional intelligence like if it was kurt you can write it off somehow but with kitty it's kind of hard so that kind of feels like davis maybe even laying groundwork for the later romanticization of that relationship that is that is a reference to earlier in the issue when Rachel, when says, Rachel says she's too young to be a cynic. Yes, but she still says they're crazy about each other. And I hate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Davis, but Davis thinks that. I don't think he's being ironic. I think Davis thinks you're wrong. I think Davis, remember, Davis hates the the love triangle between Kitty, I'm sorry, between Kurt, Brian, and Megan. Like, Davis yeah. hates that. When Davis took over as writer, getting rid of that was the very first thing he did. It was like, okay, we're, they're going to have their fight, and they're going to be done with this. Done, 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 never mentioning it again. So I think Davis does see Brian and Megan as this end game relationship that is just a little troubled because couples have relationship troubles. I don't think he sees it as toxic in the same way that we do. No, I I agree. I mean, well, it kind of gets back to the conversation we had about the proposal where it's like, we all had issues with Brian's proposal, but you know, Mav, you made the good point that, yeah, but this is just how like heterosexual romantic love was depicted during this era. It's like the guy being like, I suck and I can never be who you want me to be, but please be with me because I don't want to be alone. Yeah. Make me (laughs) better. better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like with like 2022 eyes or it would have bothered me at the time too, but especially with 2022 eyes, I'm just like, run, run the hell away from a guy that proposes in that way but i do understand that in the parlance of the day that was supposed to read as romantic mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was alive then i apologize to all of them <laughs> i was a grown-up <laughs> <laughs> 
time is not linear mav like who knows that's right maybe we're all circling back to earlier moments of our existence at any given time age is just a number and an, and just an idea <laughs> mav is just the widget body for some future entity exactly, exactly. how i was gonna start out the episode <laughs> <laughs> well let's move to final thoughts because I don't know, because we can do a lot of different things with final thoughts, sort of highlighting other moments that, that we didn't get a chance to talk about or, or anything like that. I mean, uh, well, one of the things I just want to mention is that uh, we did briefly allude to it, but that these RCX characters from the future, almost all of them, I think, perhaps all of them are like characters from Marvel UK, which many American readers probably weren't aware of, but Alan Davis is doing some sort of deep cut continuity stuff there and just very passionate about doing so. And I do appreciate that effort he's like signaling broader word worlds behind this beyond this comic and again that's one of those ways that it's a deeply textured comic it's alluding to like marvel uk comics like in a different publishing continuity bringing those into this continuity and like doing all of this work with with those deep mm -hmm. textures so i mean either you love that or you hate it i i do like it i i feel that sense of yeah. grandiosity through some of those inclusions these aren't just random characters i do like that but um yeah if you haven't read those comics or you're not aware of those characters you're not your alone. mileage on that will vary <laughs> yeah. i mean they they were in continuity so at this point the marvel uk crossover had happened they were trying to bring like they brought death's head into the um yeah. into the marvel universe proper it was canon that all of that stuff was part of the marvel universe canon um they were all mentioned in in you know issues of the official handbook it's just that 99.9999% of the readership had never read it and had no way of doing so yep. so that and never would does it get picked up on no cuz no one knows who these people are like davis writes tangerine you know like she might as well be captain america obviously you know who tangerine is look look folks it's tangerine everybody follows this character and no one knows and and he doesn't bother to explain it and dark angel guys look dark angel okay <laughs> you know that's how that works yeah well okay well let's do some final thoughts that's not necessarily my final thought but um we'll go around the horn and as usual i'll give i'll give nola the final word but um andrew hit us with some some final thoughts stuff you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about i feel so much pressure closing out these final two issues i'm just like it's our final two davis issues i'm like we need to record for five hours to capture all the nuances and i want to make sure we don't leave anything on the table we're not going to go for five hours but still hit me with your final thoughts andrew it's weird because my final thought actually connects to that anxiety because there's the scene where um we point out kylan's new costume uh and and kitty says you know silkworm made it for him i should have had him make a costume for me and and my brain that was like metatextually alan davis apologizing because he wanted to do a new costume for kitty but ran out of time <laughs> and i would have been so psyched for that as a way for him to leave this book getting shadow cat a nice definitive alan davis costume well none of the other new costumes stuck around <laughs> so i mean that is true <laughs> written it out anyway <laughs> but yeah I don't, I don't like kylan's new costume as much it's more streamlined but he had like those little widget symbols on his little knee pads before and i missed that yeah. detail. i was gonna say i like the colors of it but he certainly is colored very differently in in the panel the one full body panel we get of him like he's just straight up given the like he's given the white skin 
He looks like uh, Lion-O from the Thundercats when they do that to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, we, we brought up Lion-O in a previous episode. Yeah. I know I, I did find the coloring of that image strange as well. That stood out to me. He looked very, I don't know, like human sexy in a, that image in a way that I was like, is it supposed to be signaling that he's sort of like matured or something? I don't know what was going on. It was just one image and I'm reading way too much into it. <laughs> How about you, Mav? Final thoughts? Yeah. So... This this book does something that is one of my favorite things that happens in not just comics, but in media. But they have gone to the future, kids. We're in the future all the way to year 2015, oh, yeah. which is <laughs> which, by the way, 2015, also the future of the Back to the Future universe. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. In oh, Back yeah. to the Future, they go all the way to the future, all the way to the year 2015. And I'm still waiting on. You know, my hoverboard. my hoverboard, my my self-lacing shoes, my <laughs> you know, flying car, all this stuff that I was promised in Back to the Future. Also similar here. I, I find it always very fascinating when media wants things to be in the near future. So they just pick a, a year that seems like eh, this is this is far enough out. It's hard, right? Because like you don't want to say in the year 3000 because I can't even conceive of what that would be. The culture shock would just be ridiculous. Right. But like whenever you try to pick something that was, you know, we need this to be the year 2015. So Kitty can be old, except that like now it's 2022 and Kitty's like, you know, 24. (laughs) You know, it's it's weird. They could have they could have kept it timeless, I think, by just saying something like 25 years years from now. now. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That would have been better. Yes. I'm of two minds about it because I think one of the things that's effective about something like Days of Future Past is picking a specific date because it makes the future seem scarier. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get why it's done. It's just always weird to read it, you know, in the future I know, beyond, I know. right? Like a, my other minor final thought, just that which is which is less cool than that, but just like I love that it's interesting. I love that like future tech is such that like Kitty's like you know control collar gimmick, um, you know, machine here. She's got a sentinel helmet on, which I, I just know. love. That's another part of like the multi-layeredness of that image, though. Like, not only is it like concentric circles, and you know, it's stigmata and Vitruvian man, but I mean, something like the Sentinel helmet, she recreates herself out of part of a Sentinel, and that's really cool too, thematically. Mm-hmm. And it's, well, I also love that, like, of course, it's a Sentinel ha- helmet because Ahab's in control, and of course, that's what he would be using. And she turns that control back against him, and then in the repeated panel where she busts mm-hmm. out as Widget, and the machine is broken. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm, I was going to just do another glowing thing from this comic that I really loved, which was on page 11, if you have the physical copy. And it is the scene where Kitty transforms, or at least starts to transform, or at least starts to move through time. And it's this really psychedelic page with, you know, we see Kitty with the concentric circles. And then we see, or Kate, I should say, we see Kate with the concentric circles. And then we see transformed kind of into energy with, you know, the circles are kind of like on Kate's body and surrounding Kate's body with the energy between them. And then we see the circles kind of repeated in different patterns and textures and colors with overlapping panels, you know, a technique we've talked about before, as well as unusually shaped panels, but also it's a symmetrical layout. It's got sort of the set of two panels at the top left corner and the set of two panels that are the same size and shape in the bottom right corner. So it's both a symmetrical layout, but like 
a symmetrical layout that's not squares. So it's kind of doing both things at once, you know, emphasizing that symmetry and that circularity, circles being a motif, but also rupturing that with the unusual um, um, design of the panels, the unusual shape of the panels. And then that part in the middle where he does kind of like the negative space drawing that has all of these different things woven together in the composition of that image. Like we see, I think, Kate Pride's face down at the bottom. We see Tweedledope's face in there. And then we see Kitty from the past of Excalibur because she's wearing that sweater that she used to wear that gets destroyed in Inferno. He's calling back to that there in her in her design. And then with all the bands of energy, with the circles like radiating out from the from the energy at the center, again, surrounded by those circles. I'm not doing a good job of explaining this psychedelic image. That's the nature of psychedelic images. They are very confusing. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, God, there's a lot going on on that page. That's really got to be up there for, for Alan Davis pages for me in terms of what it's kind of signaling and how much thought he put into what that page was signaling, both in terms of what's actually present and in terms of the layout and the composition. And again, shout out to Dana Morissette for excellent use of color on this issue because that adds so much to the experience here. To have that like contrast of the color, because you know we have a lot of sharp color contrasts and the use of those psychedelic colors, but then the repetition with the patterns. So like that sameness and juxtaposition does such a good job representing sort of those multi-stages of consciousness and that idea of multiple dimensions. It's just really, really well done visually. I definitely could have done a whole really nerdy comics formalism podcast about that. You could also write an article about it. I could. I could. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I am very enamored of this arc this time around, and I'm really looking forward to talking about the next issue too. But anyway, coming Mm. back to you, Nola, for some final thoughts. Anything else you would like to say about this issue? I think first to build off what you're saying about this page, because I'm looking at it here, and it, it makes the achievement of it all the more impressive when you realize that it's from a time before, like, Today, if you wanted an issue, if you wanted something like a panel layout like this, you might just draw your square panels before you did your finished images inside of them, and then you could just skew it in a program. This is very deliberate, very careful, methodical panel arrangement that is designed to enhance the idea or, or this idea that the center image is being stretched. And it's done both with the lines that are like you've got the concentric circles around all of these panels that you're describing in the center here, all of these images. And then you've got like these straight lines that are stretching across them. You've got the extreme foreshortening of Kate's hand there or in this in the sweater. Like it's designed to look very distorted and it's deliberately drawn that way. And that's not an easy thing to do. So it's very impressive for, in that respect. Um, and like the literal as, stretching of Kitty there is like so good. Like the literal stretching of her across time and her yeah. arm reaching. Oh, it's so good. As far as other final thoughts, um, there's some really interesting color work that I think harkens back to. Um, oh, yeah, here. Um, it's a few pages after that when Rachel is telling everyone that she's leaving and they're trying to talk her out of it. And you can see the way that Kitty and Kurt and Megan are like almost washed out by the brightness of her flame. And that's a kind of coloring technique that does not get used a lot, but it does get used in Excalibur a few times. Most notably, it reminds me of the the original, like the sword is drawn story that, I don't know, it's a graphic novel, plus sized issue, something like that. But it's very much reminds me of the coloring in that book. And it's something that is a little bit a step beyond what you would normally get in like a monthly periodical comic. 
and to see it here is kind of a really neat like also just a really neat bookend on this entire era oh i like that yeah we get a bit of those gradients on that page uh, with both with that mm-hmm. one and the and underneath it when we see rachel kind of as the phoenix we get a bit of gradient color there as well and then like my other thing is like they were talking about kylan's new costume and i think they said that kirk got a new costume too and i was like actually looking at this costume <laughs> and i'm just like it's fine but it just looks like they... i hate it <laughs> and that's the thing like i i it just looks like they just were drawing his original costume and just gave up <laughs> yeah 75% of the way left out the black bit yep yeah. i hate it <laughs> it's just it feels it feels very like you're just not trying very hard um i do like the higher collar on it um but that's just because i think it looks neat but beyond that i don't really see a a point behind the change anyway that's that's pretty much the last of my thoughts yeah i don't i'm not really a fan of that costume either i feel like it just seems weirdly unnecessarily complicated i don't like the like thickness of like the shoulder things it just seems bulky and weird and just for kurt can never feel bulky and weird that's like an absolute no-no for that character yeah it 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 feels like it's trying to present his silhouette as much more of a standard action hero type instead of the very like lithe and lean character that he's always been yeah which makes sense with the character arc that davis has been putting him on i mean we've talked a couple of times about sort of the machoification in some ways of kurt under davis so it does make sense if that's what he's going for but that's exactly why i don't like it Well, on that note, I do have a Nightcrawler-related letter to spotlight from the Swordstrokes letters page. I have a couple of short letters to do here. So <laughs> first one I'm doing just because I thought it was funny. I identified with this letter and it kind of kind of circles back to something I said off the top. So this is from Travis Sharp. Dear Swordstrokes, I must make a confession. I only started reading Excalibur because I like Nightcrawler. <laughs> I really did not think that the other characters would amount to anything. Stab me with a million swords. I was wrong. The comic has a coherent group of three-dimensional characters. I am glad I was wrong. <laughs> so that's from our friend Travis. And I had one more that I wanted to... Are you to... telling us that you, that you are Travis? I, I... <laughs> this is like literally just Travis Sharp, if indeed that is your name. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also wanted to do this letter from James Lethem because I know... That Nola is a fan of puns, so this one's for you, Nola. Dear sirs, if Shadowcat were to spend one hour each day helping Megan learn to read and write, would that make her a teenage mutant ninja tutor? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd like that. I knew you'd like that. <laughs> Amazing. Fantastic. I was not born to live a man's life, but to be the stuff of future memory. The fellowship was a brief beginning, a fair time that cannot be forgotten. And because it will not be forgotten, that fair time may come again. Uh, On that note, I'm so sad to leave this issue behind, but it will live forever in our hearts. So let's do the thing. Nola, thank you so much for joining us. We're so thrilled to have your voice on this issue. Before we go, we need to, of course, remind our lovely listeners about where they can find you. The floor is yours to rep all the things you would like to rep. Uh, Yeah. So um, obviously there's our site, uh, womenwriteaboutcomics.com. Please go there. Please read our stuff. Um, If you like what we do, please kick a few bucks to our Patreon if you can. Comics is not a business that people get into for the money, but it would be nice if we could start changing that. 
other than that, you can find me on most social media just by my first name, last name. That's N-O-L-A-P-F-A-U. And as always, do not try to explain comics to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you support the Patreon, you can read my essay on women write about comics about Nightcrawler being a sex-positive superhero, which both Andrew and Noel helped me out a lot with, so thank you. Go read that. We'll link it in the show notes. But um, also, I used the Patreon money I made for that to uh, buy some sexy Nightcrawler fan art from uh, Valentine (laughs) and Josh's X on the Beach collection, which I felt like that was a nice nice circularity uh, that will probably be coming my way later this month. But um, yeah, thank you so much again, Nola. Hey, thank you for having me again. Um, I have enjoyed both of my experiences on this show very much. Next, in one week's time, we will be discussing Excalibur 67, Days of Futures Yet to Come, in which Kitty is a Terminator and Rachel is freaking awesome. We've got another freaking awesome guest to help us close out the Davis era in spectacular fashion. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out our fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes, which you can... Oh my god, I'm trying to fend off a cat who's like bonking her head against the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget to check out the videos. They're on YouTube. They're on the Vox Pop channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, the cat is now licking my fingers. Let us know. You can reach out via our website at Gosh Golly Wow, where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter at Gosh Golly Wow, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras. Thank you, Andrew and Mav, for another consciousness raising discussion. Thank you, Nola, for going back to the future with us. Thank you all for listening, and a special thanks to Maximilian of Thoughtform music for a truly epic theme song play us out the cat is like podcast is over